The election may be over, but while things have not settled just yet, change looks to be coming. How's this change going to affect those of us in the livestock industry? Today we talk with Jess Peterson about this, plus Tim's two cents, and a look at the long-term forecast for both livestock markets and weather. All of this on today's episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. Welcome to the Working Ranch Podcast, sponsored by the American Simmental Association. My name is Justin Mills, and I am your host. Glad to have you along for today's episode. You know, if you're like me, you're probably a little relieved that the election is over mainly, so we just don't have to listen to any more of those campaign commercials. Although I feel kind of sorry for the folks down in Georgia. It sounds like you still got some more election process going on. But while the election is over, the finalization of it just seems to kind of be warming up. But regardless of that, I think for many of us in production agriculture, we're kind of wondering just what are we going to see in changes that's going to affect us. And that is our feature story of today's program. And later on, we will be joined by Jess Peterson with Western Skies Strategy who has had extensive experience of working back in the Beltway of Washington, D.C., and has been through multiple changes in the White House and leadership. So we're going to be talking about that later as our feature segment for today's Working Ranch podcast. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, I would like to let you know that if you would want to get a hold of me here at the American Cemental Association Studios about something you've heard or on on an episode or question you might have, please feel free to call or text me. The phone number is 307-363-COWS. That number is 307-363-COWS. Or you can email me as well at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. That's justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to be notified each time that we kick out a new episode, which we're going to be doing that, every other week be sure to click subscribe and also be sure to share this with your friends as well we want to uh, have everyone along and, and appreciate you joining us here today let's take a moment to recognize our partners for the working ranch podcast of course it wouldn't happen without the support of the working ranch magazine by the way you should have received your november december issue by now another great issue packed with a lot of information and good articles as well what i might point out that's worth uh, definitely worth stopping and taking a look at would be the one on the usda beef grading system so take a look you can also check it out online at workingranchmag.com that's workingranchmag.com Other partners include the American Simmental Association, the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator, Cattle Max, Pharmatan, Neogen, and Stevenson Angus with their 60th annual production sale coming up on Tuesday, December 1st, 1 o'clock at the ranch in Hobson. We'll talk more about that later. But first, let's take a look at some ag headlines from across the countryside. Federal wildlife officials removing the gray wolf from the U.S. Endangered Species Act list. They're saying the wolf population has recovered and the animal no longer needs federal protection. Now, with that move off of the ESA list, state governments will have the authority to manage the gray wolf population. They're saying there's about 6,000 
uh, gray wolves in the United in the lower 48 here. And uh, ironically, I see also that Colorado just passing a ballot measure now in the latest election that will force that state to reintroduce the gray wolf there. Some already speculating that it has been there for some time. Among the results of the election, there is uh, one tie into agriculture. Democratic House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson losing his bid to retain the 7th District House seat in Minnesota. One name floating to the top for consideration as the new chairman is Jim Costa of California, who is a farmer there. And finally, share prices on the stocks for Beyond Meat dropping recently as news that Pfizer is close to having a COVID-19 vaccine ready for FDA approval. Now, how are those two related? Well, CEO of Beyond Meat, Ethan Brown, saying that the company had experienced a pretty clear pattern of consumer panic buying, which basically means that their recent fast growth has had a lot to do with people's concern of COVID. And now with Pfizer on the brink of a vaccine, the panic attack is maybe has a chance of subsiding. However, also competition now for uh, meat uh, for Beyond Meat as McDonald's announcing they plan to enter the meatless market with what they are going to be calling the McPlant. Hmm. That doesn't even remotely sound too appetizing right now. Well, stay with us. When we come back, we'll hear from the Captain Tim O'Byrne on Tim's Two Cents. How would you like an easier way to organize and manage your ranch records? It's easy with CattleMax, the software for people who raise cattle. CattleMax brings all your ranch records together in one place. Manage your cattle data, including health treatments, breeding, and calving. Ranch records, such as equipment inventory and maintenance, income, and expenses. It works for any size herd. See how easy it is to manage your ranch records. Start free now at CattleMax.com. Hey, this is Tim's Two Cents with Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. Today, I don't really have two cents. I want to welcome Justin Mills to the podcast. He's the host. And Justin, I have uh, two things I want you to do for us today. I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. And I want you to focus in on a mentor of yours. Who or whom, there might be a couple have really influenced you, and and how did they do that? This is Tim's Two Cents. Catch you later. Well, I guess the captain has thrown it back at me to kind of tell you a little bit about myself. So I guess I'll start with where I was raised, as I was raised on a ranch in northeast Wyoming, about 10 miles south of Devil's Tower, where we were a cow-calf operation. We did a little farming as well, and in high school, I was very involved in FFA. My main SAE was about 100 head of uh, herd of Targi ewes. I went on to be a state officer for the Wyoming FFA Association back in 1995. So it's been a few years. Now, after high school, I graduated from the University of Wyoming with a degree in agriculture education, but I never did step into the classroom and I opted for a job that was based out of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I installed computer systems in veterinary clinics across the United States and Canada. But it was about that time when I got married to my wife, Myla, and we moved to Billings, Montana where I then began working for Northern Broadcasting System. I started in sales, then later moved 
over into the mic on the ag broadcasting part of the company as an ag broadcaster on radio and television programs for the Northern Ag Network. Then in 2006, I was hired to take over the role as the general manager and CEO of the Northern International Livestock Exposition, or Nile, located in Billings. Now, the Nile is a nonprofit organization and annually holds its Nile Stock Show and Rodeo. And additionally, they have the oldest and longest running event of the original PBR, Professional Bull Riders, upper tier event, which at that time was the uh, Built for Tough series. Now, during my time at the Nile, we purchased the Mate Show, which of course is an acronym for the Montana Agri-Trade Exposition. Mate Show is one of the largest ag trade shows in Montana and was a great fit for the Nile to assume our management of that show. But by that time in my life, I also had acquired five children. Myla and I had uh, were blessed with five children, ranging from the age of three to 13 at that time, back in 2013, and that is when we moved back to Wyoming and we began leasing Myla's parents' ranch near Upton, Wyoming. Today, we're still in production agriculture where we have some diversity in what we do. In fact, about half of what we do is a 300-head cow-calf operation. The other half consists of custom grazing, about 400 head of pears through the summer, and then anywhere from, oh, 1,000 to 1,500 head of sheep year-round. This year, a little bit less because we're in a drought situation, and like everybody else, when you're in that, you kind of have to destock just a bit. But our kids have grown well since we moved back to the ranch. The youngest, Olivia, is in third grade, is quick-witted, and keeps the older ones on their toes. Paige is next. She's in the fifth grade and is our planner and organizer. She helps me in the office doing some filing and some work. Maddie is an eighth grader. She's very good in volleyball and basketball, pretty focused and organized, takes her older sister responsibility quite seriously. Chase is next. He's a freshman in high school. Basketball is kind of his main passion, and he helps me on the ranch uh, ranch work whenever we need it, uh, preferring jobs where he can listen to music, of course. But then finally is Ethan. He's the oldest, and he's a senior in high school. Ranch work comes pretty naturally for him as well as horse work he's been kind of my foreman for the cabin crew the last few years and i'm already starting to wonder what i'm going to do when he decides to head off to college next year We'll cross that bridge then. So besides the ranch work, our kids are involved in 4-H and FFA as well as sports. So Myla and I do stay pretty busy. Now, the captain asked about a mentor. Well, there's no question that I've been influenced by a lot of folks in my life, but pers- both personally and professionally. However, if I had to name one person who was a mentor early one in on my life, it was when I was in high school and then later as I began my professional career, I guess it'd have to be Dr. Al Snyder, who was many, many years ago a Wyoming State FFA president, but he currently lives in Wisconsin. Now, I met Al Snyder in high school when I attended the Wyoming FFA leadership camp, and later he became my boss for a few years. But I guess the things that I always will contribute Al with and the impacts on me are two things. First one was giving me confidence in the talents and the abilities that God gave me. And in high school and as you head into college, you know, your young person's kind of looking for direction. And when there's someone in your life that assures you that you have the potential to reach big milestones, well, that helps quite a bit. And it helped me. And it does make a huge impact. Now, the second thing was his modeling of being selfless, his compassion and care carried by his unselfishness to invest in others. And I guess I've seen a lot of people invest in others, but it comes at a cost and they also expect something in return. 
Additionally, I've seen someone invest in a younger person, but then feel threatened when they're capable, that younger person's capable of being maybe a little bit better than they are. With Al Snyder, he invested in me, never expected anything in return other than to stay, that I stay true to my morals and the beliefs that I was raised with from my parents and my relationship with my God. Sometimes I fall short in carrying out what Al Snyder models. However, I am also very thankful for his investment in my life and how he continues to not only be a role model, but a very wise mentor for me as well. So with that, I want to thank the captain for his two cents today, kind of throwing it back at me to give you a little bit more information about who I am. And I look forward to my time here for the Working with the Working Ranch podcast. Well, before we jump into our main topic for today's episode, let's take a break because after that, we're going to be catching up with Jess Peterson as we talk about the impacts of the election on agriculture. Plus, don't forget, later in our program, we're going to be talking livestock markets as well as long-term weather with meteorologist Don Day. Stay with us. Scours. Scours? Scours. Uh-huh. Last winter, the word from ranchers is that they dealt with high death loss of calves from cryptosporidium and coccidiosis. Not to mention that none of us like to treat those calves. But here's the good word. There have been significant reductions in that death loss due to scours from using Pharmatan. Pharmatan sweet chestnut tannin is nature's answer to scours. And it's very easy to feed. It can be added to loose mineral, mixed into tubs, into mineral blocks, fed in calf creep. But here's the deal. Crew, now pay attention. Your cows need to have Pharmatan in their system 90 days pre-calving, all right? Just head to PharmatanUSA.com or call anytime at 515-745-1639. That's 515-745-1639. Get rid of scours and improve gut health with Pharmatan. F-A-R-M-A-T-A-N-U-S-A.com. Scours? Nope. Not this year. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast, sponsored by the American Simmental Association. I'm Justin Mills, your host, and our guest today, as we talk about some of the impacts of the recent election and how that's going to play down into agriculture, is Jess Peterson, who is with Western Skies Strategies. He's the Ag Policy Advisor for the U.S. Cattlemen. And Jess, now I'm going to kind of give folks a little bit of a background, because you're not any spring chicken in terms of your experience of what you have worked through back in D.C. in the Beltway. You you went through a lot of different uh, White House changes, so you know kind of what's coming down the pike and how things have to transition and how things have to roll. So with that in mind, and I know there's still a lot of uh, water to go under the bridge in terms of finalizing this election, but let's look ahead and look at with a new administration in leadership, you know, what are some of the things that we as ranchers out here are going to start needing to be aware of here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been a unique election in a large part, and I'd say largely because of rural America weighing in. And you're seeing when you look at the maps, you look at where the Senate was held with a Republican majority, and you look where the White House, again, if the votes are counted, and it's President-elect, President, Vice President Biden, or excuse me, President-elect Biden, Vice President Harris are indeed deemed the winners. You're, you're looking where they picked up their votes and, and where, and where again, uh, they don't have the majority within the Senate to to pass some of their legislative agendas forward. So what you're looking at is you're looking at mixed uh, mixed majority. And and I I would say largely in part if you're out in rural America, that's that's a good thing. Uh, and so we're we're looking at 
uh, the Senate most likely maintaining its majority. And surprisingly enough, the House, and I say surprisingly, a lot of folks thought uh, House Democrats would pick up more seats. They actually lost again in some key rural areas, lost seats. So Republicans picked up those seats. So that certainly changes the dynamic as a possible president-elect Biden and Vice President Harris uh, take the helm. It's going to change their overall strategy as they look at some of the issues that they campaigned on. Now, Jess, when I talked, when you and I talked the other day about this, you actually had a little bit more of a calming mentality about everything. You've you've been through several White House changes, all right? And so you felt like where uh, President-elect Biden, a former senator working with, you know, previous senators, um, you actually, I guess, was a little more calm about it. Yeah, I, I look at it certainly in that in that regard, and 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 it's also you know elections. I know for us they seem uh, uh, a long time between two elections. If you if you're frustrated, but I got to tell you, for these elected folks, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of focus uh, on 2022 and in 2024, and 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 I think it became pretty clear. Uh, the Democrats were going to have to move drastically towards the center. Of course, they have a kind of a progressive side of their caucus that's really trying to pull them left. But uh, the reality is, is that, again, with this Senate the where it stands, Majority Leader McConnell is going to sit down with uh, President-elect Biden and say, look, how do you want to play this? And and they both know, again, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Joe Biden's been in that Senate for quite some time, served as a vice president, uh, worked in the divided government there with the two parties and whatnot. And, you know, if they they don't have they don't have the Senate. And so McConnell controls that. And if they do too many executive orders uh, on a on a waters of the U.S. or anything as it links to endangered species or even as it links to climate change, uh, if it, they could be contested in the courts and President Trump, it's no, 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 no secret there on the, what the district, the appellate Supreme Court looks like. I don't think they're going to win court challenges on some of these executive orders. So it really comes down to President-elect Biden having that conversation with, uh, with, with Leader McConnell and, again, coming back to look at the layout of the strength uh, here with the votes. You know, John Thune, number two in the Senate, uh, senator from, from South Dakota, John Barrasso, senator from, from Wyoming up there in Senate leadership. Uh, these folks are really big players. And, again, anytime I talk uh, Leader McConnell, these, these folks are right there with them, and, and, and that's a big deal. Of course, on, on the House side, as that inch is a little bit closer, you have uh, uh, Congresswoman uh, Cheney uh, is going back to Washington uh, and her reelect, and she's pretty high up there in House leadership too. So it's pretty it's pretty exciting to see mm-hmm. the amount of rural influence in the split government world we're talking about. And we're going to talk a little bit more later in this interview with you about the dynamics of the leadership change. But let's go back and let's talk with the change in the White House, because I think there's maybe three elements. And I know myself, a rancher uh, in Wyoming, you know, as concerned in terms of these three things. And let's and we're going to go through them individually. But first, it was climate change concern of where we're at, how things are going to be handled in terms of trade and environmental regulations. So let's talk climate change and where do you see the new administration going in terms of climate change and what that's going to do to the rancher? Absolutely. And I think there's there's still a little bit of uh, an alarm from how the Obama administration advanced efforts on on climate change, right? You had the, what was called the Clean Power Plan, really mm-hmm. 
put a dent in coal, really put a dent in some of our, in, along with our emission standards and whatnot that was teed up under the Obama administration. Um, they, 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 and those, those were both challenged in, in the courts and were lost. Uh, uh, President Trump rolled those back. So where do we stand now? Well, it's going to be very clear again with the split uh, majority where President Biden is going to have to say, are you going to incentivize or penalize? Mm-hmm. And what you saw come out of the Obama administration was kind of heavy on the penalized, right? Here's mm-hmm. the regulatory uh, plan coming out, and you folks better just get in line or get out of business. Well, now you're leaning towards that. You're going to have to incentivize farmers and ranchers, best stewards, always been the best stewards of the lands. Uh, and, and if you can incentivize uh, practices, cover crops, uh, grazing strategies, and then if you pivot towards, say, the petroleum side, well, what can they do to be a part of it? Can they purchase uh, carbon credits and offsets and whatnot? Again, incentivize, they can continue their practices with, with some offsets, and hopefully that's done in a reasonable manner. So again, if we're walking folks off the cliff here, Justin, saying, I think there's an opportunity for that to play out, but I'd also encourage my folks that are saying, yeah, that's really not my style. Look, the reality is, you know, we, we have these coastal lines are putting pressure on us to kind of show forth our environmental stewardship. So we really need to kind of lean in and see how we can we can come to the middle so we don't get these just drastic battle lines that we've seen here previously. You touched on something there, and I want to go a little further because in the last debate between President Trump and President uh, and Vice President uh, Biden, he, Biden really came out strong about coming down against the petroleum industry. That affects the ranching industry as well because I mean it takes diesel to power things around here. What uh, what do we need to be concerned with when he comes out that strong? Well, again, I think I think what what anyone does and any candidate. Uh, just like a Republican is going to talk pretty, pretty aggressive to their base and, and really try to, 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 you know, bring up your red meat crowd, so to speak. Uh, if you're the national leader in the case Biden is in that regard, he's trying to rally folks to get out and vote, um, you know, House members and Senate members into office. And again, this is what's great about living in the, the best country in the world. We, we do have a republic that I'll stand up any day and say it's, it's alive, it's working great uh, because that would have been if Biden would have got all the votes that they would have wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might have been more of a realistic approach. They didn't get the votes. Uh, you have a split majority. So now he's got to sit down and say, all right, well, I, I went out there and said this was our goal. Uh, but it looks like we're going to fall a little short on that. What's what's a little bit more of a realistic approach we can take? So I, I think it's safe to say as of right now, I think that that uh, that 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 uh, that that lofty goal that was thrown out there, I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. I wouldn't uh, go trading off your diesel pickup anytime soon. Just, At least I won't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Jess Peterson, Western Sky Strategies, Ag Policy Advisor to U.S. Cattlemen, is my guest today. We're going to take a break, and we'll come back in just a moment because we're going to be talking what the effects are going to be on trade, environmental regulations, and then we're going to talk ag leadership as well. Stay with us. We'll be back after this. It's an uncertain world out there, but here's a simple reminder from the crew from the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator and the American Semental Association. Moving forward together. IGS. We collaborate. You profit. Look fear in the face and press on. Simi strong. Life is tough, but so are we. Sim genetics. Profit through science. Count your blessings. Another sunrise, a new start. Stand together. Stand strong. Semental.
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast, sponsored by the American Simmental Association. Justin Mills, your host for our program today. Glad to have you along with us as we have had Jess Peterson, Western Sky Strategies Ag Policy Advisor to the U.S. Cattlemen. And uh, Jess has uh, over 15 years of experience working back in the nation's capital with for the folks uh, for rural America. So uh, he knows what he's talking about, which is why I wanted to visit with you, Jess, on this was because because I respect uh, the years you put back there and the hands that you've uh, had to be uh, shaken and, and had to be around to, to talk with over issues. And we've already talked. Uh, we're talking about uh, President-elect Biden and, and that White House changes and how that's going to affect. We've talked climate change. Now let's talk trade because trade is huge. It's huge to the ag industry, of course, to the beef industry. We need to get the beef, uh, the beef industry, the market out to the to other countries as well. So what are we going to see in terms of how he works with these nations? to kind of keep beef trade and expand it? Well, by, trade has always been bipartisan in, in, in the nation's capital, and, and that's something that I think we can all uh, be proud of within agriculture. Trade, trade has been bipartisan. Uh, President Trump, you can safely say, rewrote the books of negotiation yeah. as it links to China, and he didn't surprise anybody uh, when he was running on the campaign trail. He he uh, he, he 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 lived up to that campaign promise. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I I think I can be fortunate enough. You and I can always say, as you look at ag policy, I can re- I can respond to the current setting, but also a lot of it history will reflect on whether or not that was a successful strategy. So we don't you know the, let let the pundits do what they do yeah. best. The rest of us can say, look, here's the results that we're seeing these these products move. And then, you know, maybe maybe Trump hit the nail on the head or maybe he, he missed the mark. But regardless, I think that's going to be something that history will look back on. In this perspective, President Trump took a very unique approach to China. And and I again, I, I can tell you from from talking to my Democrat friends, there were some elements that worked and there were some other elements that they weren't too sure on. But regardless, uh, you do have a, a stay a phased in approach of ag products moving into China. You are seeing an increase of 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 ag products notably beef we still got and this is what's exciting Justin. we have so much more when you look at the beef numbers going into china you can't even say we're even looking at our potential i mean we are so far off which means we have the opportunity to gain that um we had a south south korean free trade agreement go under uh vis-a-vis president obama so you know President-elect Biden, he gets that better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, folks can say what they will about former senator, now senator, vice president-elect uh, Kamala Harris. She understands trade. She's from California. They understand the importance of trade, certainly uh, with the fruit and vegetable industry there in California. So you're going to see a heavy emphasis of building, expanding those export markets, which is good for us. What's the restart going to be as far as the President Trump negotiations with China? That remains to be seen. Uh, but again, uh, you know, you're looking at you know placements of uh, of leadership in Congress and the whole nine yards. There's a heavy emphasis. There's 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 never a lack of value and focus on trade. It mm-hmm. will just it will just be interesting to see all those pieces come together. But if you're going to bet on one thing out there, folks, bet on the fact that you're going to see strong strong ag exports regardless of what happens in the future and you can rest assured on that one you know you one of the things you had talked about was trump really shook things up and you can take that a good way or a bad way i think for a lot of more conservative folks they're going to say that was a good thing uh when he talks things like draining the swamp and things like that but you know in terms of trade uh what did he do that that really shook things up in the trade industry well, it's it's always unique when you, when you look at the trade a, a, approach, 
And and so when you look at the World Trade Organization uh, based in Geneva, what's a I mean for, for for guys like you and me, I mean you know when 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 you like to, to hang out in in places like Cody and Gray Bowl and and uh, Billings and Broadus and, and the like, but Geneva is a pretty sought after place, uh, if you will, uh, for for global travelers. So when you look at the amount of and this is always good too. I, I've always said that you avoided a lot, and the goal of trade was to avoid war because Mm -hmm. countries become trading partners and commerce becomes uh, interwoven, if you will. And so you kind of, you you push back on the armies and say, well, we want to focus on boats going back and forth with with goods and supplies that countries need. Well, then what happens is you kind of get this incestuous relationship with various multinational corporations that they're not really looking out and saying, oh, well, you know, the United States is doing well if they're offshoring in various places and whatnot. They kind of lose track of that. And so President Trump was really, he really emphasized a populist trade agenda, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can look at a lot of his pieces and you could talk about Democrats from the Midwest have been talking about that in trade deals all along, right? Yeah. About a buy America, built American and, and whatnot. And so when he approached that, it really had that strong, uh, aggressive and then also placing tariffs, right? I mean, yeah. the previous Republican administration has <laughs> hair on fire. If you said, you know, and we've always said from U.S. Cattlemen's perspective, if we're getting too much imported beef, we ought to be placing tariffs. We're a little frustrated that President Trump didn't place more tariffs on what we saw area. Of, of imported beef being a problem, mm-hmm. but regardless, he, he had no fear of tariff, you know, retaliatory tariffs. Keep in mind, country of origin labeling, country of origin labeling was repealed by Congress because of the threat of tariffs. This president did an incredible job of of not worrying at all about the, the threat of tariffs and, and built that uh, trade negotiating strategy. So there's something right there. Yeah. There used to be this fear of, of tariffs. There used to be kind of this crony capitalism yeah. and all these trade negotiations. And President Trump cleared the room, <laughs> yeah. he cleared the yeah. deck, and look where we're at today. Sure. All right, let's move now to environmental regulations. And we kind of talked maybe a little bit of it with climate change because they kind of can go hand in hand. And I see them kind of coming up at the table at the same time. But I think in the ranching industry, you know, there's always some concern. Okay, because because some of this kind of stuff can be handed right down through the White House and really doesn't have to go through uh, through a Senate approval or anything of that nature. Now, it can be challenged in court, as you said a little bit ago, which may be the element where some of this goes to. But let's talk environmental regulations and how is that? going to impact us oh absolutely i mean that's that's the concern that folks get pretty darn nervous about because we we live in a world that not many folks understand when it comes to waters and streams and runoff and and even you know and and i um they just passed a ballot initiative to all of our friends there in colorado you're going to have some four-legged creatures uh, out and about hassling your kids at a bus stop and beyond and I, I, you know, I always said we can take a few extra wolves uh, from Montana and, and put them on the National Mall and see how long they last. I just think there's such a disconnect, and that's where that disconnect truly comes in. Uh, again, uh, I, I see uh, compliments to Senator uh, Barrasso, John Barrasso from Wyoming. Uh, he has worked on endangered species reform. I know President Trump did a good job of issuing executive order in the last stages of his administration here of uh, this term uh, where he where he pulled the wolves off the list. That, I, I don't know. Again, I hope that holds up. I'm all for it. But again, I'm, I wouldn't be in this position if I wasn't a brutal realist. 
And so I see, I see where Senator uh, Barrasso is working to come up with modifications, and he's, he's worked really, really hard on changing that actual act. So it isn't just one administration, you know, slapping a, an idea on endangered species and cranking up more protections and the other one trying to take them away. We really need to try to find a way to work that through Congress. So, again, when it comes to endangered species, I don't see things getting too over the top under President-elect Obama, uh, President-elect Biden. Again, dial it back to the reasons of the United States Senate. Um, as, as we look at, you know, again, waters of the U.S. and whatnot, I just, that really, from state attorneys generals and everyone weighing in, that, that, that got a lot of holes hammered into it. Now, you could see where lawsuits could rise up, forcing the courts to act in some way, shape, or form. So it's not a bad idea to look at ways that we can be more forward-thinking with our runoff and be more conservation-minded and, again, incentivize it. So, again, I think these guys will be forced to work from the incentivize versus penalize approach. And certainly, I can say from U.S. Cattlemen's standpoint, every step of the way, we're going to be urging them not to overstep their bounds when it comes to this arena. Jess Peterson, our guest here today with Western Sky Strategy, and uh, we're going to come back here in just a moment with our final segment with Jess and take a quick break as we're in our final deal. We're going to talk ag leadership because that in itself back in D.C. is going to be a huge factor as we go through the next several years uh, and how that's going to affect livestock agriculture. We'll be back right after this. Neogen. You know your cow herd better than anyone else. All of those countless hours spent planning your breeding rotation. The best bulls to use. Which replacements to keep? Should I even keep replacements? It sure didn't come easy. We understand that. Neogen. So let Igenity from Neogen take care of what's underneath the hide. Igenity plus Invigor. We've talked about it on the radio show. Is an advanced accurate and economical DNA profile that reveals the genetic potential you need to build a stronger herd. Paired with the industry's first heterosis tool, Invigor, increased identity plus Invigor scores can lead to greater fertility in your females and more profit at the rail. Here's what you need to do. Go to identitybeef.com to select with confidence today. Identitybeef.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. Justin Mills, your host, alongside today my guest, Jess Peterson with Western Skies Strategies, Ag Policy Advisor to the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, also uh, Society for Range Management, Jess. That's kind of something uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware of, so maybe a quick uh, comment about that. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's it's like you, Justin, being a, being a ranch kid trying to make it. You, you wear a few <laughs> more than one hat, metaphorically and metaphorically and literally. Literally, um, yeah. I've had an opportunity to play a role in the Society for Range Management. I've, I've extremely enjoyed it on the science and and the research side and the application side of grazing management. Have have learned a great deal in that role, and I've really enjoyed it just because it gets you it gets you closer to the incredible amount of, of research, of applied research, and everything that goes into uh, the world we know as, as grazing management. So I, I've actually found, too, just as, as being more involved on the ranch here in the last few years, just how valuable it is to know and have a better understanding of, of, of the Society for Ranch Management and just some of the projects that are out there. So hopefully we can come back here in a segment in the future and talk a little bit about the exciting things yep. going on at SRM. You bet. Well, like, uh, I'm really honored to have Jess here, and if you can 
caught, caught the segment before, I kind of give you a little bit about his background as he's been back in D.C. for over 15 years and has a lot of experience in terms of working for rural America. And uh, and what a lot of us here in, in production agriculture, livestock agriculture, really want uh, f- working on our behalf. So we're going to we're going to move now into ag leadership. And, and, and Jess, this is this has a really a pretty good impact as well, because we really did see a shift. And one of the things you and I were talking about uh, before we, we went on air here was the shift of where some of the ag leadership is stemming from. We've seen changes now with uh, Senator Colin Peterson, who was the House Ag Committee uh, chairman. He got he he lost his election and the new one coming in. She's a she is a lawyer. And I don't know that that's who we want in the Senate uh, Ag Committee chairmanship. <laughs> Nothing against lawyers. I'm just saying that was her trade by. by but uh, but we also have changes, uh, you know, uh, uh, Michael, uh, you know, Representative Conway out of Texas, uh, Senate chair Pat Roberts out of Kansas. All of them are gone. So what are we looking at now? Absolutely. I mean, that was that was a collective lot of wisdom. Uh, folks that did a tremendous job on on farm bills and just really understand every working element of the the various commodities and just everything across the board uh, when it comes to agriculture and agriculture policy. And again, I, I tip my hat to all these individuals and a direct working relationship with all of them. Uh, and it's the thing that I'll always say. I'll always be the positive one and, 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 and be bullish on, 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 on agriculture, on this great country and just being involved in a, in a citizen's democracy and Republic. And, uh, you know, I didn't always agree. I'll be very honest. Uh, Mr. Conway coming out of Texas and his, and his cattle feeders there with Mexican cattle feeders and, and, uh, Mr. Roberts, Chairman Roberts, uh, coming out of Kansas there, uh, think the world of him and his staff, but didn't agree on country origin labeling and some of our competition <laughs> yeah. issues. Again, they had a lot of corporate cattle feeders and, and, you know, Chairman Peterson was just did a lot of tremendous things, and I, I worked directly with him through U.S. Calamans when we put together a country of origin labeling law. So some exciting uh, areas there. But again, moving forward, and you and I touched on this a little bit earlier on in the show, I just want listeners to realize, and certainly in that northern tier of the United States, and of course, working ranch radio, you've, you've got listeners all over this great country. Uh, but just for folks to just stop and pause, because just because you're not seeing uh, your your senator, your representative on TV, or reading or seeing about them on on the big big news. I mean, I think working ranchers are the big news of that. But here we are. In any case, uh, <laughs> you see John Thune in leadership from South Dakota, mm-hmm. number two in the United States Senate. Uh, John Barrasso from Wyoming, leadership in the United States Senate. John Hoven, and most folks say, well, John Hoven, Senator, oh, I know John, he's yeah. in North Dakota. Yeah, he is chair of ag appropriations, and, and the, where, where the purse strings are controlled is a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. And so as John Bozeman, Senator Bozeman, I, I have great respect for Senator Bozeman, he, he has Walmart and Tyson's in his, in his state. He's not going to align with us as much, although this, you know, thanks to, you know, folks like Corbett Wall and the feeder flash and the word getting out yeah. about um, these, these cow-calf states and these stalkers, you're seeing a little bit of a, of a mindset. But regardless, Bozeman's going to be a little cozier with some of the folks that aren't quite livestock-centric. So what does that mean right now? Well, we've got folks, uh, Deb Fisher, senator from Nebraska, very key, very tied in with, with the livestock issues. Again, Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana with Tester and Danes, uh, and the rest of them. They've got some very key influential roles and spots. And so what I'm saying is the folks are leaving out the door with that with that institutional knowledge. You have some very livestock-centric members coming in and some very important pieces of livestock legislation that Justin, I started working on 
back when you were a big radio show host and now you're coming back to it again. But I mean, it's been a long, a while <laughs> since these things have been teed up. And I, and I can tell you, as I, as I sat out there as a snot nosed kid from Montana, just literally fresh off the ranch in, in college, we started on that. We're just now seeing teed up with amazing influence in, 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 a, in a legislative format. And so these things take time. Leo McDonald always told me that's a, that's a great thing about our country. You can't just change things or things don't just happen overnight. It, it's a process. Mm-hmm. Folks, this is the best legislative outlook I have seen in my entire career hmm. for the opportunity to bring leverage back to the cow-calf man and the independent feeder. What are you seeing or names thrown around for House Ag Committee chairman? Well, um, uh, uh, Scott, Congressman Scott out of Georgia Mm -hmm. and Congressman Costa out of California, they've both thrown their names in the hat there. Uh, I think they're pretty fluent uh, with with the policies. But what I look at is I look at at a congressman like Dusty Johnson from South Dakota that has put together a bill that would basically be the essence of a livestock title in the next farm bill. So Mm -hmm. I see those chairmen as playing a key role. But I also see I also see some of these key rural members weighing in to say, this is what I need and this is what I need to be reelected. And that's where I'm going to come in there. So I think we're going to be okay in in, in the ag committee. As far as um, as far as leadership goes, what's key is how these key uh, players, these these congressional members, how they interface. As we, we're, we're going to be writing a farm bill next year, yeah. I can guarantee yeah. you. Yeah. I don't want to just be talking about government checks. I want to be talking about getting competition, not checks from Congress, yeah. but competition that's written into laws by Congress. And we have a chance in this next farm bill. Well, and I think that was something that come out. You know, there was a lot of push here this last spring as as markets were kind of fledgling, and not that they're great right now for the livestock guys. Um, but, you know, we got all this COVID money out there and did that just kind of wash over and keep the and pull the pressure off of really getting some really getting some good work out of D.C. that gets a fair market back in place. Are, are we going to see that happen? We will. If folks stay half as engaged as they were throughout this entire process, and I'll, I'll tell you, U.S. Cattlemen's right all the shoots. We pushed for that COVID stimulus. It was a shot in the arm. We believe we needed to get out there. And you saw a bump, right? Those feeders mm-hmm. took a little more confidence. We saw that those those feeder market picked up pretty, pretty, pretty. pretty I mean, it's all. I mean, we could always do a lot better in this in this fall calf run. But you saw those those summer video sales. I think did did pretty well, all things considered. A few ticks higher actually than last year after the mm-hmm. whole mess mm-hmm. with Holcomb. So where we're at right now is three pieces of legislation. Uh, Senator Tester and Grasley have the uh, increased cash trade piece of legislation that's out there. Uh, you have the, the bill that I mentioned, Dusty Johnson, Congressman from South Dakota, that has a whole list of how you can do more. You know, He's going to have some educational pieces on hedging and has some other things on risk management, really good piece of legislation. And of course, Deb Fisher, the senator from Nebraska, picked up where the Department of Agriculture, the Trump administration, uh, under Secretary Ibaugh, came up with recommendations post-COVID, post-Holcomb fire for changes. One of those is actually talking about putting a greater light on these sweet deals, Justin. And yeah. these sweet deals, these formula deals, when you talk about what's killing a good bull run in the cattle market, when you're, you're talking about why 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 we can't get a cash bid to trend a little higher, it's these sweet deals that are killing us. Mm-hmm. Folks, that's in a piece of legislation right now. So we have three pieces of legislation, bipartisan support. The only thing standing in their way 
is if your key member is not hearing from you. And so I have not seen anyone pulling off or uh, taking their foot off the pedal. In fact, they're pushing even more. And the thing that's making a difference, Justin, is listeners on Working Ranch Radio. You listeners have done more in this past year. And if you want to really talk about your cattle, and you have the best cattle in the world. Isn't it just mm-hmm. mind-numbing, Justin? Yeah. No one ever comes in and says, hey, we got a good run of Alaskan salmon, and it's gonna <laughs> we're going to really do everything we can to cheapen it up or Maine lobster. No, no one ever. Here we have the best cattle in the world, right here in the United States. And every time you turn around, you're seeing quality improvements in the last 20 years that will blow your mind, right, as far as carcass yeah, grading, the yes. whole nine yards. And you're seeing this downward pressure. Folks, you have the best cattle in the world. We're bringing the leverage back to you. Don't back off the pedal. U.S. cattlemen's we're not doing that. Working rancher, getting all the information there. As you look to this new year, take it upon yourself. And here's one thing, too. For all my friends out there that are frustrated about any election out results or outcomes, look, you got two options. You either get involved and change up some state state laws as how ballots mm-hmm. are counted if, if you want to yeah. do that. But the other thing. Don't go negative on your Facebook. Talk about these market bills. Jump in there. You still have, I just outlined, you have an optimistic outlook. Get on your Facebook, get on your Twitter, and say, hey, I see some great competition bills out there, Senator so-and-so, Representative so-and-so, get after it. I don't want to see any negativity from folks because I'm telling you right now, we're playing to win. If you want to sit and, and, and be upset and be disappointed, well, then just get ready to lose in 2021. <laughs> the last time I checked, our sons and daughters and our current livelihood depends on on us having a great 2021 and we're ready to rock and roll you bet well we're going to leave it there and jess i want to thank you for joining me i really appreciate it hey justin always a pleasure good luck in the new role and good luck to everybody out there in working ranch be safe be well and thanks for all that you do all right jess peterson my guest today western skies strategies ag policy advisor for u.s cattlemen and Society for Range Management out of Billings, Montana. And if you'd like to get a hold of Jess, you can sure do that easy way I've found is just go to your web browser, search under Western Skies Strategies, and you'll see their website. You can click on that. That'll give you information. Or you can drop me a line, justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Or you can also leave us a message at the news desk, 307-363-COWS. That's 307-363-COWS. Well, stay with us when we come back. We've got meteorologist Don Day on standby as we talk long-term weather. Sound familiar, right? It should. Part of the commercials that you've been hearing for the past year from the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator. We've talked a lot about it, but have you tried it? So let's just talk plainly, candidly. No music, no ha-ha, funny sound bites, just rancher to rancher. The feeder profit calculator is free. There's no hidden costs. Now, they can't promise that because you use the IGS feeder profit calculator this upcoming marketing season that your calves are going to blow the doors off the sale barn. They can't promise that, but, but here's what they can say. That if you get an extra dollar for those calves, does it make a difference? Well, 100 calves at 500 pounds and a dollar more this fall gives you an extra $500 to the paycheck. And it didn't cost you anything but a few hours worth of work. So you know what happens when you do nothing? Nothing. The IGS Feeder Profit Calculator. It's free. It's fast. Period. 
Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. Justin Mills here with you today. Thanks for joining us. And I do want to remind you that coming up on the 1st of December will be Stevenson Angus 60th Annual Production Sale. Now, I was talking with Daryl Stevenson this week, who, by the way, not totally jumping off track here, but was just elected by the delegates of the American Angus Association to serve on their board of directors. So congratulations to Daryl Stevenson. But talking with him this week about their upcoming bull sale, he was telling me that they're offering a little over 300 head of bulls. Now, about a 160 of those are what's being called the age advantage coming two-year-olds. Now, that was something started back when his granddad was selling bulls. And what's that mean is that these bulls, these age, age advantage coming twos, have been raised and developed on pasture. They haven't been pressed hard through a feedlot. They're not going to fall apart after one season. They're mature, so they're going to get out and they're going to work for you. Plus, they're going to be offering about 150 head of yearling bulls out of their mature set of cows, out of their new and progressive genetics. Now, maybe you're looking for some replacement cows. Well, they're going to have about 30 head of registered confirmed AI bred heifers, plus about 70 head of commercial bred heifers. They're going to be sold in three packages, all of them based on their calving dates. Now, when we talk Stevenson Angus and genetics, we're talking bulls like Stevenson Easy Money and Stevenson Declaration or Stevenson Turning Point and Stevenson Big League. Powerful bulls with growth and carcass genetics. Sell time for Stevenson Angus Tuesday, December 1st at the headquarter ranch in Hobson. Sale time is 1 p.m. If you can't get there in person, it will be on Superior Productions. Click to bid via the internet. You can bid from the ease of your computer or leading up to the sale. You can also look through the previews as well at StevensonAngus.com or go to their Facebook page. Head there, request a catalog. You can also look at the catalog on their on their website as well. Look at the previews. Stevenson Angus. 60th annual production sale Tuesday, December 1st, 1 p.m. at the ranch in Hobson via the internet with Superior Productions Click to Bed. Well, let's now turn towards our weather segment of the show today, and I'm pleased to have with us meteorologist Don Day with Day Weather Incorporated. And Don, you've got quite a few years of experience in reporting and studying weather, and I've always appreciated the angle, the slant that you come at uh, weather in looking kind of back in our history to look ahead of how things are going to progress as we go forward with our weather forecasting. But all fall, you have been talking La Nina. So how is that going to affect our weather pattern across Across the U.S. and Canada here for the next couple of months. Sure thing. It is certainly going to be impacting the weather across all of North America. We have a very well-established La Nina. And just a quick review of La Nina. What La Nina is, is when the sea surface temperatures near the equator uh, are colder than average. And the reason this is important is that the equator and the very warm waters in the Pacific, when they change temperature, that changes the atmosphere above it. And it really can have long-term effects on our climate, especially uh, during the fall, winter, and spring seasons. That's really where it makes a big impact. And right now, we're in a La Nina that is the strongest La Nina we've seen going back to 2011. So this is a pretty strong one. Mm -hmm. And it's going to impact the weather across North America, especially in the two things that we're most concerned about. Number one is... How is the precipitation going to pan out mm -hmm. in the coming months and what our temperature is going to be looking at? Uh, there's a, a couple of things about La Nina that certainly show up that always give us problems in some parts of the United States and Canada. And we've already seen that. It does tend to lead to drier than average conditions, especially we started to see that this spring and through the summer season and into the fall in parts of the southern plains 
We even have a pocket or two of some dryness in the Corn Belt. Very dry conditions in the High Plains and Rockies and back into California, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, Colorado, Utah. Uh, we saw the wildfire season go crazy, and La Nina was a big part of that. As we segue into the fall and winter season, we start to see La Nina's impacts change a little bit. And we're going to see this bear out here in the next couple of weeks in the Pacific Northwest and parts of central and western Canada, because all of a sudden, after dry conditions, especially in the Pacific Northwest all summer and parts of the Northern Rockies, they're about ready to see some very wet weather. Washington, mm-hmm. Oregon, even central and northern California, going to see significant low elevation rain and some really heavy mountain snows. And those heavy mountain snows will expand into British Columbia and Alberta, into the mountains of Idaho, western Montana, western Wyoming, and parts of Colorado, Utah, and Nevada. Those areas which have been really dry are about ready to see enhanced snow. And simply put, when you get into a La Nina winter season, you get a really strong, you get a really moist, fast-moving jet stream that comes out of the Gulf of Alaska into western Canada and the northwest United States. So short term, next couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. that's an area of the United States that's going to see a lot of winter weather, especially in the mountains. We're also going to see cold across uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, British Columbia, colder than average conditions up there. And then in the southeastern United States, you know, it still looks wet. Yeah. No, it's the tropical season that has really kept on going. We got tropical storm Eta right now off the coast of Florida that's just kind of meandering. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like it's going to be turning into a, a large-scale, big tropical storm or hurricane, but it is going to be dropping a lot of rain in Florida. Then eventually, that's going to expand north and eastward into the Carolinas. Um, also, we'll see some precipitation in parts of the Corn Belt, the Great Lakes in New England. Uh, the northern Great Lakes in New England will see rain and also some snow coming our way. Uh, There's one thing, Justin, that we see, at least at this time being, we don't see severe cold for the last two weeks of November. Okay. But the coldest areas of the U.S. and Canada relative to normal will be those northern plain states, the Pacific Northwest, and those central and western Canadian provinces. Well, Don, I appreciate you joining us today. You know, one of the refreshing things about visiting you about weather is? What's that? It has nothing to do with the election. <laughs> Was there an election? Did I miss something? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, it's uh, it's good to talk about something different. What well, really is, and certainly there's always something to talk about the weather. And this winter, I think, is going to prove to be a, a much different winter than we've seen over the last several years that was really dominated by a warm Pacific, uh, uh, an El Nino-dominated Pacific. So we've got a whole different set of circumstances, and we'll see how the winter of 2020-21 plays out. It promises to be interesting. Okay, real quick, and I'm not going to hold your feet to the fire on this one, but are we going to have moisture this spring? I'm a little concerned about that, uh, especially in the Southern Plains, and uh, parts of the western United States. If this La Nina continues, it is a drought signature, or at least a higher risk of drought in parts of the Plain States and West. And as strong as this La Nina is, and the fact that we're getting this La Nina at the bottom end of our last solar minimum, which just occurred this past summer season, historically, um, La Ninas that happen near the solar minimums tend to last more than a year. Uh, So that does give me some concern for some parts of the United States, uh, especially 
some of the central, southwest, and west. All right. Meteorologist Don Day joining us today. If you'd like more information, you can go to his website at dayweather.com. You can shoot him an email from there or give him a phone call. Or you can also send us a question here at the Working Ranch News Desk. That email is justin.workingranch at gmail.com. Or give us a phone call or text at 307-363-COWS. Well, stay with us when we return. We'll head into our final segment as we talk livestock markets. More after this. How would you like an easier way to organize and manage your ranch records? It's easy with CattleMax, the software for people who raise cattle. CattleMax brings all your ranch records together in one place. Manage your cattle data, including health treatments, breeding, and calving. Ranch records, such as equipment inventory and maintenance income and expenses. It works for any size herd. See how easy it is to manage your ranch records. Start free now at CattleMax.com. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast, sponsored by the American Simmental Association. As we head into our final segment here on the cattle markets, and today we're going to keep it pretty short and sweet. As we find ourselves kind of in the downhill side of the fall run, however, I think it's kind of safe to say that this year's fall run felt maybe just a little delayed, and I kind of contribute to three things, really, and in really no particular order, but those three things being COVID. And, of course, the presidential election, where a lot of the focus was at, and then the market softening a bit after those summer video sales, kind of causing guys to hold off a bit before they headed to the sale barns with uh, the calves for this year. But the market in the last 10 days seems to have caught a little bit of a cog, gathered in some steam. We'll have to see just how long that steam's going to keep the train rolling on these markets. To look at what will affect these markets beyond the near term, well, you really got to wonder with some of the spike that we're seeing in COVID across the countryside, will the change in leadership bring about changes to what people and or businesses are going to be able to do? Because that does affect beef demand. And of course, if there is going to be any major changes, that wouldn't really happen, at least until the earliest being late January. But for cattle buyers and feedlots and packers, no doubt it's in their minds as they're planning ahead. Beef inventory relatively high, so prices are going to kind of be throttled a little bit by that in the long term. And while COVID has been a pressure factor in the market, some good news along those lines with Pfizer's news of being close to submitting a COVID vaccine to the FDA for approval, that has created some optimism in the market. Beef demand on the global market for the U.S. has been relatively positive for 2020, up 8%, while exports for uh, for the year up 26%. Now, kind of a different story, though, here in the U.S. is beef retailers struggling a bit, and we know that. That's kind of why we're we're at where we are. But they are gearing up for the holiday season, and that places beef directly in competition with other proteins. Now, I say all of that only to say that as we look to the next one- to two-month outlook in cattle prices, There's really nothing in there that's going to indicate a large uptick in the markets, still though kind of a bit of a waiting game with changes in the White House. 
Across the countryside, though, in the last seven days, as we said, the market has trended upwards a bit. In fact, 2 to $4 increase in those 750-pound uh, steers. Average price in the north central at $1.4476 per hundredweight. In the south central at one thirty-five fifty-two. In the southeast at one twenty-five oh nine. And on the west coast, averaging a uh, hundredweight at one thirty-two per uh, .86. All of those prices about 8 to $10 off a year ago. On these lighter 550-pound steers, we've seen about a 4 to $8 increase in the markets trending here lately. As we start in the North Central, average price, 100 weight price at 158.15, South Central at 150.67, Southeast at 140.05, and on the West, averaging at 147.17. Now, like you said, while they're trending up here currently, they are still off from year-go prices of about 8 to $10 off. Now, the next Catalan feed report will come out on November 20th. That last month's one showed an inventory up 4%. And that's a look at your markets for today's episode. But before we put a wrap on it all, I would like to thank our sponsors of the Working Ranch Podcast, the American Simmental Association, the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator, Cattlemax, Farmatan, Neogen, and Stevenson Angus. And their December 1st production sale, 1 p.m. at the ranch at Hobson. That sale will be on Superior Productions click-to-bid format through your internet browser as well. You know you're going to search long and hard to find any better bulls at a better value than Stevenson Angus, your Angus source. Also, a thank you to my guest today, first and foremost, to the Captain Tim O'Byrne for his two cents, Jess Peterson with Western Sky Strategies, and meteorologist Don Day. Finally, be sure to click subscribe now to the podcast so that you will be notified each and every time as we post a new episode. If you do have questions, you maybe have some ideas for topics of the show you'd like us to cover or would just like to get a hold of me, you can do it by calling or texting the studio here at 307-363-COWS. That's 307-363-COWS. Or you can shoot me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com. This has been a production of the Working Ranch Magazine with their November-December issue already sitting right there on the kitchen table. Go ahead and take a look or check them out online at workingranchmag.com or on your favorite social media site. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Thank you for joining us. So for now, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.